Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the PTBC Podcast. This is Sarush here, and I'm joined by my colleague, Slava. Hey, everyone. So today we have another special guest with an extensive list of experiences, and she's quite the entrepreneur in our profession. It's the amazing Wendy Coombs. Wendy is the current owner of Momentum Health, Evidence Sport and Spine, and Innovative Sport Medicine, a growing group of 12 intercollaborative, multidisciplinary rehabilitation clinics in Calgary, Alberta. She's the current president of the Calgary Entrepreneurs Organization, and she's also on the Alberta Women's Entrepreneurs Board, Calgary Center West Primary Care Network Board, and a mentor with Venture, Venture Mentorship Services of Alberta. Her companies were third in Alberta Ventures Fast Growth 50 for 2017, a 2017 Calgary Chamber Breakout Business Award finalist, and she was recognized with a 2017 Business in Calgary for Leadership Award. She previously was an owner and CEO of Advantage Health, and she has grown 20 separate businesses from single sole charge physio clinics into medical centers offering physiotherapy, sport physicians, chiropractic, massage therapy, physiatry, sport and spinal medicine, psychology, acupuncture, naturopathic medicine, athletic therapy, kinesiology, personal training, and even retail goods. She's developed standalone rehab centers as well as clinics integrated into medical centers offering family medicine, dental, and optical services. She's a former Dale Carnegie trainer, and she has been a member of the Entrepreneur, Entrepreneurs Organization, an organization filled with an elite group of entrepreneurs since 2005. She has two Bachelor of Science degrees in psychology and physical therapy from the University of Alberta. And she was also a finalist for the RBC 2009 Canadian Women Entrepreneur Award in the Trailblazer category. Wow, so we can safely say Wendy is quite educated and not only in physiotherapy, but also in entrepreneurship within our practice. So to get a full list of services provided at her current clinics, visit www.momentumhealth.ca and www.evidencesportandspinal.com and www.innovativesportmedicine.ca. All right, it's time to get down to business. So how are you doing, Wendy? I'm great, thanks. How are you guys? Great, thank you so much for coming out. We know that you're very busy and uh, we're really excited to have this episode with you today. Definitely excited. Thank you for coming on. Okay, so Wendy, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how that has led you to where you are today? Yeah, yeah. You know, when I first graduated, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like, I didn't even know what area of practice I wanted to work in. Um, you know, a lot of people take out that big piece of paper, throw it on the wall and like map out a plan for their career or even for their companies or whatever they're planning to do. And, and I didn't really do that. I just kind of let things grow organically um, so that when an opportunity presented to me, um, I would just kind of take one more baby step forward, sometimes a bit bigger step, um, kind of through the doorway and evolve it into the next thing. Um, I've been out of school for 20 years and I purchased my first uh, clinic uh, the year that I graduated um, in the clinic that I was hired in to work. And it was this tiny, tiny clinic. It had like four treatment beds. It was in the basement of a medical building. Um, it had little windows in the ceiling with bars on them. And, and I remember coming to work in the morning in the dark and then leaving, leaving and it was dark again at the end of the night in the wintertime. And, um, but you know what? I loved it. And, um, and it was mine and I bought it. And then I moved it into a much larger clinic with lots of windows and stuff. Um, but the, the crazy thing for me looking back is that year that I graduated was the big year in Alberta where the government came in and delisted physio services. Mm -hmm. um, and what they did is every, every person in the province used to have 12 visits and they came in and said, no, we're just going to cap the clinic. So each clinic gets a lump sum of money and they can divide it up amongst their patients, however they see fit. And a lot of clinics that year, um, the clinic owners, 40% of the clinics closed um, because they didn't really know how to adapt to these funding cuts. And I, I really don't think, um, I don't think our profession at the time 
really thought that people would pay for physiotherapy. They didn't really know how to sell the value of what we do. Um, and, you know, I only had a few clinical placements. I think at that time, you know, it was six, six different clinics, including the hospital that we got to work in. So I didn't have a lot to fall back on. And I think that was to my benefit because I had to come up with a lot of out-of-the-box solutions to things. Um, and I really had to look at, there wasn't a lot of mentorship. There certainly wasn't PTBC podcasts or anything like it to fall back on. Um, so I had to look at other industries, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and you know, I didn't, I didn't know much about business, but I knew I loved it and I started to find really good partners. And so I just started opening a clinic a year for 10 years. Um, and I was treating patients, um, all the way up until about the fourth clinic. Um, and I remember sitting in this acupuncture course, I'm like, Oh, this is so great. I'm learning so much. And then I realized like, you know, I just feel like I suck at being a physio. I feel like I suck at being a clinic owner because I couldn't spend enough time and focus in either one of the areas. So, and I was still being, you know, I had a full caseload. I was being asked to do physio coverage. So I had to make that really tough decision to stop uh, practicing clinically at the time. And it, it was a really, it was hard to go from touching people all day to like sitting behind my computer and phone and in meetings. So um, but I did sell, I don't still have 20 clinics that I opened along the way, but I did sell a few clinics um, for various reasons. Um, in 2010 um, was a big one. I, I sold my clinics to PT Health. Um, I kept one, but um, at the time I remember just feeling really overwhelmed um, with the partnership structure that I had developed. And, um, and I also had two little kids and they were a year apart. Um, which was a bit crazy. Um, and uh, so when I sold, I took on the director of operations for two years with PT Health, um, which opened my eyes to how those larger, um, you know, you know, I think they had 135 locations at the time and, and kind of got to see how that, that worked. Um, and then when I stopped that, I, I did that for two years and I kind of went into this little bit of retirement, but literally I was born in four months. Um, so I decided to go back to what I know and loved and, and had a do-over. And I really said, okay, it's my second chance to restructure. Um, and that's what I'm kind of excited to talk to you about um, today is because, you know, I get, you guys said I could do the, you know, do, do a kind of a deep dive into partnership. Um, and to me, that's been one of the biggest um, and most important things in my career uh, to getting to where I am today. Um, so I'm grateful that um, you're giving me a lot of time to talk about it. And you know what? I'm still I'm having so much fun. I love my job still most of the time. And, you know, it's been a, a good ride for the last 20 years and hopefully for the next 10 as well. Mm -hmm. Wendy, it's definitely an amazing journey that you went through. And uh, uh, you're so honest and open about it. The fact that you had a little bit of uncertainty going into this profession and uh, some of the situation uh, that you encountered in Calgary in terms of the private practice clinics as well and how you've transitioned to uh, kind of being more experienced and opening up more clinics and uh, going through some of the partnerships. And uh, we're definitely excited to talk to you about the, some of the partnerships you face because you have a lot of experience. So our next question is essentially, uh, how would you structure the partnerships in your clinics uh, today? So I have a business partner, Sean McCauley, um, and he's my common partner in all of our 12 locations. So we kind of do everything together. Um, and then in each, each clinic is a separate company and we have different minority partners that are shareholders. Um, and the, the kind of the new way I did it is I was really clear about the different hats that each partner wears. Um, so all of the minority partners um, that are in the clinics day to day, they're clinicians. So they're all revenue generating. They're all working in their professions. Um, most of them are physiotherapists, um, almost all. Um, I have a couple chiropractors um, that are partners. Um, and I also, in the innovative sport medicine clinics, um, I have a team of sport med doctors um, that are partners there. Um, and the job of um, the second job outside of being being doctors and, and clinicians is uh, clinic director. Uh, and that's the title that I give to the job of running the day to day operations. So it's basically being the eyes and the ears of the clinic. The third hat really is that president or shareholder role um, that they have. 
Um, and how I like to explain it to them when I'm bringing on partners is they have three income streams and I keep it really separate. So they get paid fair market value for their clinical work. Um, they get paid a separate job uh, as clinic director. Um, once the clinic has the funds, right, there's the sweat equity piece, but once it's making money, um, that, that comes into play. And then also the dividends, right, which is a little bit further out. Um, so in the beginning, I was wearing all of the hats, um, but then as more clinics were added, I had the resources to take. I kind of, I did an org chart, I remember at the beginning, and it had like all of these boxes. Um, you know, I, I read the Michael Gerber e-myth, and I had written out my org <laughs> chart, and I put my name in every single box. But, you know, as we grew, I've been able to pull myself out of each of those boxes um, and delegate. Um, so it was exciting to get to the point where we could afford, um, we hired one person to do all of our finance, uh, bookkeeping, HR, and IT. Uh, and then we hired another person um, after that to do operations um, and then somebody to marketing and business development. So we have this middle management team now um, that work on all of our locations um, and that um, and then Sean and I kind of fill the, the director roles under those categories. Um, but the main thing is that we've always hated the um, hierarchy or chart. Um, so we've actually just come up with a new image for how we run things that kind of reflects our leadership style a bit more. Um, so it's more of a matrix um, where that leadership team, that management team, is providing and supporting leadership for the clinic. So we're still really careful to leave a lot of the decision-making at the clinic level. Um, so that they're making decisions that are relevant to the clinic and the patients and the staff in that clinic. And then we're providing like process and systems that can be adapted um, to that specific clinic. And honestly, to me, that's kind of the secret sauce um, to be able to grow a larger group of clinics, you know, maybe let's say over three, uh, but still maintain the individuality um, that partners want. Because, I mean, I've heard it in your podcast, like the people, the reason why people go into business um, is because they want to own their own thing. But it's really about creating the kind of clinic that they want that reflects their style. Um, and they really want to be able to provide their patients um, the patient experience um, that they know how to deliver. So we don't want to take that away, even though it's a larger network. Um, and I think this structure has really, really been kind of the win for us. Um, and really, it ends up with a clinic. They all look different. They have different clinic designs, different art on the wall, uh, some different programs. Uh, but the cool thing about you know, what we've been able to do is, is everyone's getting together and having meetings and sharing ideas and, and kind of helping each other out, even though they are separate companies. Hmm. And uh, earlier you mentioned that you have uh, minority partners in each of the companies. Do you only have one minority partner in each clinic? Um, it is easier. <laughs> so when Sean and I only have one other partner, it's, it is the easiest uh, for sure. But um, basically the sports med doctors came to us and, and wanted to join Sean and I. And so that one we have more. And I mean, the only difference there is we had to kind of find different roles for them. Um, we've always been really clear that we don't want silent partners. We want everyone actively engaged and contributing. Right. Um, and so when we added more partners, we had to really clearly define the roles. Um, we're still working on it. I actually have another meeting tonight to, to mm -hmm. define some of those new roles for the doctors. Um, but really, like I have seen businesses fail, even within our industry where there's just too many cooks in the kitchen because uh, they can't agree on things, right? And then it just becomes like super inefficient. Um, and I've also seen situations where not everyone's doing the same amount of work. Um, so that's why I really like the three revenue models uh, or pay models for partners because um, if somebody really has a less, a lower demanding job um, time-wise or skill-wise even um, in their, you know, what they're doing working on the business, then you're kind of paying fair market value what you could pay someone else to do it, right? So then the amount of work people are doing um, really isn't as important um, once you're kind of out of that sweat equity period. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And Wendy, you've mentioned that you're really not looking for silent partners, which is a really good way of putting it uh, in terms of the fact that you want 
more engagement from your partners. So what are some of the other roles your partners have taken on with you? Um, so we created some new new ones that, like I said, we're still evolving. Um, we have a director of research now, which is really exciting because we wanted to partner with the University of Calgary on some dance science and rugby concussion stuff. Um, so getting a little extra help there. Um, with the sport med piece um, and also physiatry, we have medical directors. Um, so that, you know, we like to work, we're really, Sean and I, we're both physios, right? So having that expertise really helps. Um, and we came up with a director of innovation and best practice. Um, I have one partner who's the current medical director for the NHL. So he travels a little bit right now. So um, we wanted to still tap him into um, coming in. And he has the best ideas. So director of innovation and best practice was a really good role for him. Um, and then another one who's director of programs and education. Um, in the smaller, like in a smaller group of clinics, you don't, obviously you don't need all of that. Like um, basically you just need, you know, you're, the, the, the partnership team is covering all of the different roles. Um, but you know, it takes, the more clinics you have, everything takes more time. So um, I was thinking about, uh, you know, in, in one clinic, when you're renewing your CPA office package and liability malpractice insurance, it's just a few forms to fill out and you send it off. Like it takes me a day to do it now. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing is when you're bigger, you're just it just takes more time to do everything. Um, and that's why you need more people sharing the workload. For sure. And, you know, this seems like this is a very well thought out model with a lot of specifics that have been developed over time. Uh, I just want to know how you actually came up with this model. Well, I kind of looked at what wasn't working um, in 1.0 of my career and mm -hmm. changed it for 2.0. So yes. um, Advantage Health um, was the group of clinics I first grew and then sold. And I was really doing, I was really the only one working on the business. Um, mm -hmm. My partners were mostly clinical. And, um, um, and I was the one kind of out pounding the pavement and working, uh, 60 hours a week probably. Um, but when I had started to have a family, I just, I couldn't manage it anymore. Um, and that's why I decided to, to sell the companies at that time and have that do over. And, and so I really looked at kind of what other people were doing out there and, you know, it was kind of forced by necessity, um, to come up with this model and then really define the roles. But like I said, like, you know, you, you kind of just keep tweaking things, right? I'm sure you guys have, have experienced that where you're just, you know, mm -hmm. it always yeah. evolves year over year. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Wendy, you've described this um, a really nice partnership model that really takes care of different aspects of the business. But uh, coming from physiotherapy background, we usually know that there are multiple ways of doing things and, uh, one way really works well, but there are multiple other ways that really could work well as well. Um, have you seen any other partnership models that have worked in our industry? Yeah, I think, um, you know, and I don't know as much detail, um, but I know that, you know, there's the larger companies um, across Canada. And I know some of them actually have, when they do do acquisitions, I know um, from time to time they do allow them a minority partner to retain equity in that um, clinic, but it still maintains a bit of a top-down management um, structure because they're trying to roll out systems and processes that are the same across Canada. Um, and, and, you know, my experience working in that was it, it just didn't allow the clinic to be quite as adaptable um, as it needed to be. Uh, because, you know, in any local uh, community or even economy in the city, there, there's a different climate, right? Mm -hmm. um, patient demographics are different. HR and staffing requirements um, differ from clinic to clinic even. So sometimes those national uh, think what, what works in Ontario doesn't work in Alberta, for example. Um, the other one, too, is, um, again, like a, there's publicly owned uh, chains that have private their private equity investors right and from what i know about private equity is they basically buy in their shareholders but it's a cycle um, so they're typically looking at maintaining equity for five years and then selling um, and they're looking for that roi um, their you know profit on their investment right so um, in many cases they're not managing partners um, so you still get the same management team 
uh, involved, which provides continuity, but there's still a lot of pressure um, to be financially um, profitable, right? Um, and the one thing I have learned over the years is if profit is your number one priority, um, it almost never comes. <laughs> um, and you need to really, you know, we hear it. I, I've heard it again and again to clip from physiotherapy clinic owners is it's like exceptional patient experience. That is their number one focus. Um, and also strong clinical outcomes. Um, and also happy staff, having having happy people that love coming to work every day. If you can do those three things and do them well, um, then profit can be uh, next on the list and, and will be more successful. And, you know, looking at all the models, I still, you know, I still like our model best. Um, and we, be, you know, each, like I said, each clinic is a separate corporate entity. Um, and we have partners within that. And, um, you know, looking at, corporations themselves um you know we do enjoy that because you're protected by corporate law um we call it like the corporate veil um so there's less personal risk um in those kinds of structures mm -hmm. and uh definitely agree with what you said previously about you know the if if profit is number one on a clinic's list of uh priorities those clinics might not be thriving as much as those who put the exceptional experience and the strong clinical outcomes first to provide the best care. And, you know, we've heard it time and time again that we're in a business of people. So we need to be able to treat all the people, whether it's our patients, it's yeah. our staff, it's uh, people who we work with. Uh, um, those individuals need to be happy for that company or that business or that clinic to be thriving. And, um, and yeah, and we, uh, uh, we, I've also actually looked into, you know, the difference between a corporate entity, a, a partnership, and um, all the differences, uh, a lot of differences with these type of, there's different legalities, like uh, you mentioned as well, differences in personal liability. Um, I also want to know how your corporate structure differs from what some people do, uh, essentially, as a sole propri proprietor. Yeah. Um, I mean, sole proprietor is really common. It actually is the most common business structure across all industries. But um, what it really means is just it's one individual or it could actually be a married couple and they're in the business alone. Um, the, the benefits of a sole proprietorship is it's simple to form and, and operate like there's fewer, fewer legal controls and, and actually fewer taxes, which is always nice. Yeah, um, nice yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we see it a lot with our contractors. Okay. So we have a lot of employees, um, physiotherapy employees, but we also do at our evidence sport and spine clinic have, have contractors and those um, they are, unless they actually incorporate themselves, which some of them choose to do, um, they are sole proprietors. And you can actually open up a clinic um, as a sole proprietor and enjoy kind of that, that flexibility. Um, but it's more of an owner operator model, tends to be smaller. Um, and often they're the primary physiotherapist, physiotherapist in the clinic. Um, you know, you, you might call it kind of buying yourself a job because you don't have the ability to be as scalable as, as a company would. Um, and then, you know, some of the challenges with that is, you know, harder to take time off or replace yourself in the business if you need to. Um, and then as a sole proprietor, you're actually personally liable for all of the business debt. Um, so there is a little bit of a high risk, higher risk to that model versus being incorporated. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, and as a contractor though, as a sole proprietor, you're, you're not really typically, unless you're opening a clinic in that model, you're not signing that big personal guarantee that we have to with our bank loans and, um, you know, that we have to sign when we're signing leases. So you just don't have that same risk. Mm -hmm. uh, Wendy, so you've taken a look and explored the sole proprietor route, but as you say, you don't want to buy yourself a job like we've read in uh, Michael Gerber's E-Myth as well, that you want to be a little bit more flexible and be able to grow and expand to a little bit faster and to a larger extent. And now you decide to become an incorporated company and you have that question facing you, should you get a partner or not? Can you um, elaborate on that question a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because when I, when I was prepping this, I thought I'm going to see what they say online. And I found all these articles about 
um, why not to take on partners? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is depressing me. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of posed the question, you have to say, why do I want one? Like, why do I need a partner? Um, because it really drives what, you know, to get partners for the right reasons. And so, you know, the first one is, you know, people will say, well, I, I need money. Um, and I would say, well, just go to the bank or go to friends and family. I know so many business owners that go to friends and family for their startup or take a home equity line of credit. Mm -hmm. um, giving away equity just um, because you need financing is really not a great reason to get partnership. Right. Um, assuming that they're, you're just taking the money and they're a silent partner, right? Obviously, um, you know, if they're also going to be working in the business, then that's, that's great, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if, if you're taking on a partner because you want to share the work, um, like to grow a bigger clinic or to expand into other, other clinics, um, that's a good reason. It, you know, I always say, well, you're getting a smaller piece of a bigger pie, right? Um, so you're sharing the, the workload is, it's awesome. And, but you can ask the questions, well, why wouldn't you just hire somebody to share the workload? Um, you know, why doesn't that work? I mean, you can explore that. Um, and in many cases, that's a great option. Uh, but it really depends on the situation because um, ultimately, if they're such a key employee, um, you know, they're not really as committed to you. Um, and they could, they may not stick around because it is a bit of a roller coaster, as you know, um, starting a new business. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're, you know, you're having to come up with salary, you're having to pay them. So they're, they're going to cost um, they're not really going to be willing to put in the, the sweat equity that you would need. Right. So, but like I said, somebody to produce, help with financing and share the work is a great, um, a great reason. And another one is experience. So, um, you know, of course that's why people join us is <laughs> they want to tap into our, um, our experience, um, you know, the school of hard knocks. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, so really partnering with somebody who has, um, made lots of mistakes along the way, um, it will avoid making some poor or like even costly decisions. Right. Um, but also it saves a lot of time in developing systems and processes. Um, if they can kind of come in. Um, but actually I was listening to, um, Sanjeev Bhatia on your podcast. Um, uh, and he mentioned clinic accelerator and I, I haven't, I was just talking to Rick Lau about it the other day. I'm saying, what is this? So it kind of, and you have to look it up because I don't have the details, but it, it seemed to me almost like a non-equity kind of partnership. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to, to add it in here, but it sounds um, like what they're doing is um, if you don't want somebody actively working in your business, but you wanted to tap into resources, tools, um, and process and advisors actually, um, clinic accelerator will help, um, help the clinic grow, grow and eventually even sell your clinic. Um, so it's kind of cool. Um, but I did find, um, I did find this like warm and fuzzy list <laughs> that <laughs> made sense to me. So I'm going to read a few of it. Um, it's kind of like the 12 good reasons, um, to enter in a partnership. So it was one of the positive ones I found, but Nice. Um, basically, you know, most of the time, two heads are better than one, or you can double your resources and your ability to reach patients. Um, your partner has strengths that you lack and vice versa. Um, and also someone to rely on, right? Um, somebody who's going to be there doing whatever it takes to make it successful. Um, and one thing I found, too, is it, it really helps with creativity and it spurs innovation. When, you know, those big brainstorming sessions when you're throwing your ideas around and you kind of end up with that one plus one equals three, you know, aha moment. Yeah. And those are awesome, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, you know, it, it, that kind of collaboration can be part of your culture um, and kind of rub off on your employees. Um, mm -hmm. it can help you break free of the old ways of doing things. Um, it can help you be comfortable taking greater risks, but also like rein in, um, somebody who is taking too many risks. Um, but you know, it's really fun having a partner, uh, working on common goals. Um, and also, you know, 
<laughs> the last one on the list is it sucks to cry or celebrate alone. <laughs> oh, not that Sean and I have ever like huddled crying together or anything, but honestly, like the crazy rant sessions that happen, um, I used to bring them home. And um, I can tell you that it is not good for a healthy relationship um, to be bringing some of that stuff home. So having a sounding board at work um, that isn't somebody working for you is really, really helpful. Um, so yeah, there's my list. <laughs> um, yeah, so you, you've had some amazing experiences with partners and different partnerships. And it seems like Sean has been a, a great partner over the years. Um, and, you know, our listeners, you know, some of them who maybe might be thinking about getting into a partnership with an individual or looking for a partner, they're likely thinking about what kind of a person do they need to be? What, some, what are some qualities that they should have? And what are some things that I need to look for in my partner? So in your opinion, from your perspective, are there any must-have qualities that you consider, consider absolutely necessary in your partners? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a kind of like a wish list. Um, mm -hmm. And if I'm bringing on someone that I know already and I've worked with, um, I actually still may do almost like a, an informal interview um, to just kind of explore different scenarios outside of my experience with that person. So, I mean, the number one thing for me is, is somebody who has a high level of enthusiasm uh, and is really passionate. So I might ask them, you know, what are you really excited about in your work life? Or what are you really excited about in your personal life to kind of tap into what their true passions are? Um, if somebody has been able to develop like a successful business or just even a successful clinical practice, um, asking them, you know, what was it that made it so successful for you? Um, and then also things like, you know, when did you first think of yourself as an entrepreneur or, or have you had any, you know, successful or failed um, businesses or ideas in the past? Mm -hmm. um, on my wish list too is, you know, if they have had management or leadership experience, it can be at work, but also on sports teams. Like, you know how everyone always uses sports analogies for things? Um, it, it really is, um, we get so much from sports and, and some of that can be really a good, um, good quality, um, when you're in business and, and being an entrepreneur, you know, everyone always says, Oh, integrity. It's one of my core values, integrity. Um, so we kind of always take it for granted, but actually it is, it is important in partnership, right? Um, and you can kind of tap into that with people by asking them, you know, what accomplishments are you most proud of? Why do you want to own this business? Um, but of, the, of all of the qualities, um, the one that I think is the most important is somebody who's really has realistic expectations. Um, and specific to, to new clinics, it's the time commitment, um, also the salary and the profit that they expect. Um, so um, this is something that we'll discuss really early on. It's almost the first conversation um, because if, if they don't have a tolerance and, and capacity, uh, that can be really a challenge. Um, another one is, is good work-life balance. I don't say excellent work-life balance because I actually don't know any business owner or entrepreneur who has excellent work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the four-hour work week and some of those awesome you know, <laughs> high in the sky dreams that we have. Um, you know, we try that, like I said, realistic is, is part of the list. Um, but really someone who can endure the business cycle. Um, uh, you know, mostly like the financial cycle. Startup is hard, but you know, sometimes there's things that you just cannot predict or see ahead. And um, you know, the one that affected a business um, the most financially, I think, other than like the 2008 and 2014 economic downturns that we've had to go through mm -hmm. um, is in 2005 um, is when Alberta totally overhauled their motor vehicle legislation. And I know Ontario was a few years later, mm -hmm. but that one legislative change cut a hundred thousand dollars off of our bottom line, wow. like net profit, a hundred grand out the window in a day, basically overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, so it took a lot of um, resilience, like to keep going and rebuild um, that. Um, 
Yeah. And I mean, the other thing too on the list is, you know, a long-term player. I mean, some of those leases, they're 10 years uh, long. So I want somebody who's going to stick around uh, for that. Um, and then who has a financial wherewithal. Um, I know that there is a lot of um, good models where you can start up with, you know, a smaller budget and, and a smaller practice. Um, what I'm finding in Calgary right now, you know, we're, most of the clinics that I'm doing are about 3,000 square feet, um, just because we are multidisciplinary and we kind of have to squeeze us all in. Um, but you know, it is a half a million dollar budget typically when I'm that I'm working with, and I have a great banking relationship that finances about 80% of it. Um, but typically, 20% is coming from the shareholders. Um, so you know, that can be about 100 grand, right? Um, going into a project, so. You know, if I'm bringing on a partner and there's say, you know, whatever percentage of the hundred thousand, you know, I have to check in to say, do you have that? And sometimes I'm helping them with fi with financing on that front too. But um, and you know, people have different relationships with money and risk. Um, and I remember when it was years ago, I was bringing on a partner, and I probably did a shitty job about about talking about what it was going to take and. When it came down to putting the lease deposit down, and this was the, like the third clinic I opened ever. So, mm -hmm. uh, but but he actually he actually he actually left after the first like as soon as he had to put the money into the lease deposit. So um, now I'm really really careful about those expectations up front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of my list, my wish list. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, definitely an amazing list. Um, a couple of my favorites were enthusiasm being a long-term player being there for the long haul through the thick and thin and um, definitely the financial knowledge is uh, really important factors in business partnerships and in regular life partnerships like a marriage <laughs> uh, yeah. Sarush and I and the boys at PTBC we always say that a partnership is like a marriage and those components definitely show up in your must-have qualities but Wendy besides these uh, factors that you've listed are there any other components um, that are important when you're looking for a business partner? Um, there's a few things. Like I, I think that there's a few things that you just have to be on the same page as your partner. Um, and one is values. Um, your core values, it really is the most critical thing because you know, a lot of the tough decision make, make, uh, decisions that you have to make come down to, you know, is it a fit with our values? Um, if it's not a fit, we're not going to move forward with it. And so really, really checking that, you know, asking what's the most important value to you, uh, what's the most important value to you in your partner, and making their, making sure that there's some uh, or a lot of common ground. Um, our core values are simplicity, independence, um, communication, compassion, and fun. And if I had to put them in priority, for me, it's fun. And, um, and if it's not fun, I don't want to do it most of the time, <laughs> most of the time, um, <laughs> but I want, like, it has to be fun for me. My partners, like it, the, the staff have to have fun coming to work. Um, and the patients, um, you know, I know we do cause a lot of pain in our treatment, but I mean, for the most part, you want the experience to be fun, um, and enjoyable at a bare minimum. So, um, that's super important. Um, the other thing is common goals. Um, and that helps to avoid competing interests um, and disagreements, of course. But, um, you know, a lot of times people assume there is a common goal of making profit. Um, and that's a false assumption to make um, because for other people, um, you know, we kind of talked about how, you know, your goal can't be profit anyways. But, um, you know, it should be on the list, but not the top three. Um, so, you know, asking, you know, what's, what do you want to accomplish with the, with the business? Do you have a shared, you know, plan, um, or, or path to follow? Um, and then really the last one is like around having complementary strengths. Um, I used to think my business partner had to be my new BFF and be like exactly the same as me. Um, <laughs> I, I stopped thinking that really, really early on. And in fact, I actually search for diversity um, and, um, even people that I, you know, you don't understand them cause you're, they're not the same as you. And, but the, the complementary piece and the strength is so important. Um, 
And there's actually a good test that you can do. It's called Strengths Finders Test. I mean, it comes with a book. So you can do the test and, and find out what your strengths are and have your potential partner do it and compare. It's a good, it's a good conversation opener um, to talk about these things. But, you know, if you have one person that loves building relationships and another one that likes building systems, that's a pretty good combination. Um, and, uh, you know, Sean and I are definitely that team. Um, I'm kind of like the visionary. I like to think, come up with a big picture. I like culture. I like building relationships. Um, I usually have about 20 ideas and then Sean will pick the one idea out of my 20 that he <laughs> thinks is going to work. <laughs> of course, I, I still think we need to follow through with the other 19, but he kind of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then I, you know, I'm really impulsive. Like I make a lot of quick decisions and he has to analyze, you know, analyze. He's not so bad as like analysis paralysis kind of thing, mm -hmm. but um, he likes to take his time, but it totally reigns in my impulsive behavior. Right. And so by the time a decision is made, we've done just about the right amount of contemplation on it. Right. Um, he like, we call him the integrator. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm the visionary, he's the integrator. Um, and that means he's, you know, he dives into operational details and rolls them out. He likes, he likes coming into situations like chaos and, and organizing, creating order, order or solving conflicts, removing obst obstacles. And, you know, <clears throat> in the beginning when I didn't have, uh, you know, that kind of partnership, you know, I could be the integrator. So somebody starting a business that doesn't want to have a partner, you just have to be able to do both sides of it. Um, and it's just harder, you know, it just takes more time. Um, it's, it takes more time and you're kind of working outside your natural skill set. It doesn't mean it can't be done. Um, but yeah, so I mean, those really are the main things that, um, you know, that are kind of like you have to, you have to be on the same page in those areas. Right. And you've provided a lot of great points on, you know, what we should be looking for in a partner and you know when we're looking to you know share all these things with someone what kind of qualities they should have for example so how do you know that you will be a good partner though well i think it's really being honest about who you are as a person um i know that we're people typically are, are really poor at self-evaluation and we um, tend to judge um, ourselves by our intentions <laughs> rather than our actual actions and behavior. Um, so what I'll do is I'll, um, I have a little, um, actually Tanya Yardley um, is a friend of mine and um, she has a good little quiz um, called tips for being a great business partner. What kind of partner are you? So I'll send that you guys can um, send that out, but I'll read a couple of the questions and, and, um, and basically it'll kind of give you the idea but, um, and this is so common sense, um, but it's really good to spend time thinking about, you know, how are you in these areas? So one, you know, like you're an active listener and you want to truly keep in touch with the interests of others or, you know, do you respond well to and act on feedback? Do you believe that, n you know, no one person has all the answers? Um, are you flexible, uh, especially when events and circumstances are not what you expect? You know, or do you work to find that win-win-win arrangements and solutions? Um, and then do you understand that partnership is a relationship of interdependence? Um, mm -hmm. So um, it's really saying, you know, looking at all the things you expect in your partner and saying, are you doing those things yourself? Um, and then the other part of that, she, she also gave me a little quiz on tips. Uh, uh, for being a good partner, like how to be a good partner. Um, it's kind of like I read it. It's like a 10 commandments list. Um, and again, it seems intuitive, but you have to make sure you're doing these things. So, um, you know, it's more important to be a good partner and get things done than to obsess on being right. Um, regular communication and updating the value of the partnership with your partner. So basically telling them that you appreciate them, telling them that they're doing a great job. Um, being committed, but showing your confidence in the relationship. Um, and then also it's like, don't never go to bed angry. <laughs> it's like solve <laughs> conflict <laughs> immediately. Right? So like, all, like, it's funny reading them, right? It's, it's like, you need to do this in your personal relationship as well. Mm, yeah. um, but the one thing, the one thing I really want to mention is trust. Um, uh, and it, because trust really is one of those things that once you've lost it, 
it's actually really hard to get it back again. It's no different than, you know, turning a patient into a raving fan. They're going to tell, you know, a hundred people how awesome you are. Um, the one person that you uh, piss off and is, you know, actively um, trying to get out, they'll, they'll tell, you know, they'll tell so many more people how, how they weren't happy with you. And this is no different is trust is, is so hard. You really need to say what you'll do, what you're going to do and do what you, you say you're going to do. Um, like that transparency thing, um, keeping promises, um, fixing your mistakes, um, you know, and being sincere. Um, and I did have a partner where she was just one of those really analytical people who, who always kind of started from a place of mistrust, um, which is kind of a, a, a personality thing. And, um, and I was really young, brand new business, and I didn't know how to actively earn her trust. I didn't do anything to lose the trust. Um, but it was a really hard partnership. And it's one of the ones that ended fairly early um, because I wasn't really aware of how to demonstrate trust um, and, and gain it and earn it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Wendy, you've been speaking about um, all of the positive um, qualities of a partner but recently you just transitioned yourself into some of the challenging partnerships that you've had um, and you also mentioned that you opened and had about 20 clinics over the years but now you're down yeah. to about 12 locations yeah uh, so we were wondering if any of those clinics uh, were sold because of some uh, challenging partnerships that you've had yeah, I mean that. Like I said, the last that was an example of one, and and there was a few more. Um, some of them were all good, amicable situations. Like my second clinic, I had an awesome partner, but she moved away um, to Eastern Canada, and I at the time I had no idea how to find a, a new partner, um, and I had a buyer wanting the whole clinic. Um, and the 2010, um, I kind of mentioned why I sold, and then just that work structure thing and workload. Um, and I was taking, in essence, um, taking on a new partner um, and joining the national company because I wanted, um, you know, I thought I would have a lot, tap into a lot of resources that um, that uh, would be helpful to grow and expand. Um, but definitely some of the partnerships ended because of, um, I wasn't doing the things that I've talked about today. Right. And you know, uh, I'm sure that when people get into these partnerships, not every partnership is going to go well. And I can only assume that people who have had good partnerships may have had poor partnerships uh, previous to that. So what do you do when these partnerships go bad? Well, prevention always, we always say prevention is the key, right? <laughs> yeah. With physio too. Yeah. Um, but really, like I said, picking the right person. Um, it's really like you don't want to jump into a marriage without dating first. Like you said it too, right? It's, it right. is like a marriage, right? right yeah. And, um, you know, like I kind of joke like you start out with someone and you think they're, they're your brother from another mother. And then one day you wake up and you're, you're uh, right beside working alongside your ex-husband, right? Like you just that's the worst case scenario. <laughs> um, and I really think that doesn't ever have to happen. Um, it really doesn't. Um, but the one thing that you do need to do, because there are so many things that can happen that are unpredictable. Um, if you remember anything I say today, it's about getting that unanimous shareholder agreement. So we just call it a USA for short. But it's really it's really a partnership. Um, and with the marriage analogy, it's your prenup. Like it is the prenup for your business. Um, and it has lots of good stuff in it, um, which is pretty standard, right? Um, but um, it basically outlines like who has the authority to make decisions um, and expenditures, who has voting rights, um, also how you're going to transfer shares. Um, mm, yeah. So if you have a partner, right, who wants to leave, who want, um, who's going to buy those shares and become your next partner? Like you need to have some say in that. Um, and part of that um, can be the right of first refusal, and that's a pretty common one. So. Basically, if your partner wants to leave and they get a third party offer, if you're not happy with that third party offer, you have the option to buy those shares at the same price. Um, and then there's another clause, too, that's typical as a shotgun clause. Um, and that's a case where it's like, you know, irreconcilable differences. You need to get out of the partnership. 
Um, it, the shotgun clause provides a mechanism for a simultaneous offer to buy or sell. And that's actually what ended up happening with the one partner I had to leave where basically one of them triggers the shotgun and says, okay, um, this is the price and you can buy or sell for that price. Um, it's helpful to have a valuation formula in your USA so that the price can't be, you know, it has to be, so it kind of contains it to more of a fair market value price. Um, and really like, again, the shotgun clause, that's like divorce. Like that's when you haven't been able to negotiate an agreement. Um, and the other thing too is the USA has, um, like what if your partner gets divorced or what if they actually, um, end up dying. Um, you don't want to become partner with their estate or have um, all of a sudden their ex is uh, owns half the shares that your partner did. So all of those things are contained in the USA. Um, and it also actually can prevent a partner from leaving the clinic and opening up a, comp a competing one across the street. So it has all the non-comp, non-solicit stuff in there. And um, you know, really, if things do go sideways in a partnership and it can't be solved, the USA, um, I know they're expensive um, to get written up, but it can save you tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees um, if something does go bad. So I strongly recommend getting one. Mm -hmm. And Wendy, you've uh, talked about some of the preventative measures in order to kind of avoid that whole mess if things tend to go wrong. So uh <laughs> What would you recommend to find the right partners? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting um, question. It's like, where do you look when you know you need a partner? If you don't have the one person that you, um, that, you know, it, it should be somebody you've known for a year um, is, is ideal, at least a year. Um, someone you've worked with, someone you've maybe gone to school with, um, you know, probably not your best friend um, uh, unless um, unless you've really structured uh, boundaries and uh, roles. Um, but basically somebody that you've already started to see the qualities that I was talking about. Um, one thing that I will say uh, has been very interesting for me over the last 20 years is I've always taken on a lot of volunteer roles. Um, basically volunteering inside and outside of the profession um, you know, I'm kind of the one that sticks up their hand too much. And I actually have read books and listened to podcasts on how to say no. Um, so there's the bad side of volunteering too much, but, um, it's really opened a lot of doors, um, through connections, um, even ideas, um, that I've gotten into with these kinds of roles. So, you know, I strongly recommend getting out there in volunteer capacity and meeting people in our industry. Um, the other thing too that we've always done is part of our interview process. So when we're interviewing physios, we'll always ask them, Hey, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? And if they say, well, you know, my dream is to always open a clinic. Um, I love to talk to them about that and say, you know what, we, we, we are growing. Um, it's great to know. And, and if they want to take on some leadership um, in the clinic and gain, um, you know, some of the greatest partners we have, we literally had them as physio students. Um, like Sean was a physio student and then I grabbed him as a partner a year and a half out of school to open up a clinic 10 years ago. Awesome. I know. Right. And it's like, that's what I'm saying. Like as a student even. So, um, yeah. So it's like, be careful in your interview, be careful what you say, but uh, be careful what you ask for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, really, if you can foster someone's dream, it's it's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. um, lately, I've done a couple marketing lectures. I think it's been three or four years I've taught the U of A second year physio class, their marketing lecture. Um, I've been able to, um, we've donated a $1,000 prize for the best business plan. Um, and I've judged, um, Queens actually does another business plan their physios do um, in their business class. And I've been able to judge those for a couple of years. And um, I find, you know, it, it, I get to see who's entrepreneurial uh, with that because um, a lot of them will come and contact me after. But also um, it's the overall appetite for entrepreneurship that our profession has. Um, it is it is amazing to me because there's so much. I mean, just looking at your podcast, um, there was nothing like that um, 20 years ago. And, you know, our industry has really changed. So I think it's easier to find partners that are interested than it that than it used to be because we're talking about it. Um, we're seeing it more as a business now. Um, and, you know, I just 
I, I did have a thought on, you know, people still saying, well, you know, we're hearing the message, well, you know, physio clinics are consolidating um, into the big national companies. Um, but you know what, there are so, there's so much opportunity for smaller clinics um, and to find people that want to partner in smaller clinics, um, individually owned clinics that want to find niche markets or even building bigger clinics, um, individual clinics. Um, I had to update my business plan all weekend. <laughs> I'm not bitter at all. Um, and <laughs> for the bank. And um, I, I was looking at some stats and I didn't realize, but physiotherapy is now like a $3 billion industry in Canada. Mm -hmm. And it's over the next five years is predicted to grow 5% annually. Um, and, you know, thinking back, like it is one of the first industries um, in healthcare to privatize, right, um, from the public system. And that really has been my career. So, you know what, there, there's so much opportunity. And as soon as our government starts to see, and they are starting to see that physiotherapy is the discipline for prevention, right? Like we can save them so much money on their escalating healthcare costs. Um, and, it's, you know, if we can start like, you know, pounding the drum of prevention and getting it out there. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity there. Um, you know, and I know that our profit margins are not as massive as other industries out there. Um, but you know what, it's so easy to be passionate about physiotherapy because, you know, we're in the business of improving the quality of life of people in our communities. So, um, you know, it's finding people that share that same passion and really want to, uh, you know, not worry about competition against other disciplines, work collaboratively, um, and really get known as, you know, it was all about, well, we're the big pain relievers, but it's not, it's pain relief and prevention that we're so good at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a couple of things you mentioned in your answer that really resonated with me, you know, one, when you mentioned the volunteerism and, and how that kind of opened up some doors for you. And, you know, I, uh, I think we could say here that a lot of us here, uh, uh, you know, in our school, at PD Business Corner, you know, a lot of these roles that um, kind of or the networks we've created was through volunteerism. And I think it's a really powerful way to, one, you know, help out the community and give back and two, you know, uh, make these meaningful connections with the individuals uh, within our profession. And, um, and, and the other point you made about, you know, working collaboratively and working with uh, others is uh, a lot better. And, and you know, I, I definitely agree working with other people is a lot more impactful than working against them and trying to compete. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, clinics, there's a lot of physiotherapists, you know, I, I've seen more and more a growing trend of these clinics and these uh, clinic owners working together, trying to help each other thrive rather than trying to go against each other. So it's definitely a great thing to see in our profession and something that uh, we've been able to see right in front of us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, you've had a lot of great uh, important points about partnerships in the uh, podcast today, and we're nearing towards the end of the episode. And we typically ask our guests about an influential book that has been crucial for their success uh, to this day. And since we're on the topic of partnerships, I wanted to ask if there has been a book that you recommend to our listeners that relates to partnerships. Um, yeah, I have one um, that has really changed how we communicate, um, part, the partners communicate, but also we communicate with all of the people in our organization, actually. Um, it's Traction uh, by Gina Wickman is the author. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, it actually teaches a business model um, called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Um, and, and it's really cool because it's really easy to implement, actually. Um, and it's simple, but um, it works. And it helps you kind of align and synchronize all of the different aspects of your business. But they have a lot of tools um, that you can use in, like, HR, finance, operations. Um, but the biggest one for us has been their meeting, how they run meetings and how you're communicating. Um, it kind of outlines, you know, a template around, you know, that one year goal, your 90 day goals, but also the week to week, like holding people accountable uh, for what they're doing on their to do list. So it's actually changed how we communicate and talk. And um, 
it's very interesting because it's almost like a movement now. Um, uh, I'm part of the entrepreneurs organization and I am seeing so many companies actually around the world in different industries um, adopting EOS as their, their business model. Um, so, and it's one of those things that like, if you read the book now and there's just two of you in the company, it's a good framework to start, but it's also something that you can roll out, um, when you're a lot larger, but it's one of those things you want to, you want to get going on it sooner than later. So, um, and there's a couple books, there's a couple newer books, um, by Gina Wickman on the entrepreneurial operating system. So having a look and seeing what else is out there on it is, is uh, really helpful and there's lots of stuff online too. Yeah, we'll definitely have to give that book a read. Sounds really interesting and something yeah. we can really incorporate into our practice right away. Yeah. Um, well, Wendy, uh, it's been a pleasure having this podcast with you. Thank you so much for coming on and providing all this valuable information. Um, it's a, it's been a wonderful podcast on business partnerships specifically. And um, it's been great to talk to one of the most influential entrepreneurs in our profession today. Um, Just to wrap up, we wanted to know where listeners can find you over social media or maybe there's an email they can reach you at. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, My email is wcoombs at momentumhealth.ca. Twitter. is uh i'll just give you the three of them um because you can find everything off our website too but momentum underscore health um evidence sport and spine and then the the last one is innovative underscore sport under underscore medicine so you can kind of see what we're doing there we post a lot about some of the activities and community um community events going on so some of them are kind of fun all right. Thank you so much, Wendy. So if, if anyone has any questions for her, uh, they can either reach out to us or just uh, directly uh, reach out to her. Uh, Wendy, thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast episode with us. And uh, we've definitely enjoyed it. We've learned tons of lessons uh, speaking with you just over the last uh, 50 minutes. And um, we want to thank you again. And uh, we'll be speaking with you soon. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have thank a good you day. so much. Have a good day. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.